the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Instantly. Message and... The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. blind but now 
It is the intention of God to bless you in Jesus by turning you away from your iniquity or your sin. Acts 3, verse 26. It is God's intention to bless you in Jesus by turning you away from your sinfulness. We want to share an old story with you today. 2,000 years old. It's about the gate beautiful at the temple. Herod's temple in Jerusalem. We don't know historically which gate was called the gate beautiful. Historians have argued about this for many years, but probably the best guess is that it was the gate that was called the double gate. It was stunningly beautiful, and it was also the primary entrance into the temple. There was restricted access on many of the other gates. This was the one where there was freedom to travel in and out. There was not a gate historically called the Gate Beautiful. But on this day, the gate became stunningly beautiful. The story begins with Peter and John going to the temple to pray. Now, why were they going to the temple to pray? This was post-Jesus' resurrection. It was also after Pentecost. Well, the temple was, for them, a visible presence of God. That's where the Shekinah glory of God had always been, through the, the desert, Solomon's temple. It was recognized by the Jewish people as a place of worship, a place of God's dwelling. And so they are coming to the temple to pray because they still do not understand that the kingdom of heaven has taken the place of the temple. But please, for the sake of this story, the temple is for them the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. What's the significance of three o'clock in the afternoon? That's when Jesus died on the cross. Just as the evening sacrifice was being prepared to be offered, Jesus died on Calvary. And so three o'clock is for them the hour of God's mercy, the hour when Jesus became the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, they could walk freely into the kingdom of God. They were not barred. But there was a man who could not enter the kingdom of heaven. He had been a cripple from the time he was born, from the time he came from his mother's womb. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're Ray and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining us today. 
the story is the first instance of healing on the earth after Jesus has left and returned to heaven. Now, the disciples had healed before this. You will recall that Jesus sent out 12 disciples and then the 72 to heal, to cast out demons, to proclaim the kingdom of God, to urge people to repent. But this was a real test because Jesus had said that he was going back to heaven and that now the disciples would continue to do the work that he'd started. So this was a real test of what Jesus said. Was it true? Was Jesus really the Christ? Could he really be killed and raised from the dead? Give this power to others to continue doing the very things that he had done. Could the work that Jesus started really be continued by the church? Or was it all over? So this was a very significant, this is the literally the first miracle we have recorded in the history of the church that happened without Jesus being physically present. Now this happened after the day of Pentecost, shortly afterward, when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit baptized with fire. They spoke in new tongues, that is new languages. Over 15 languages were heard by, by travelers from other countries as they heard the disciples proclaiming the miraculous works of God. And 3,000 were converted. And the question was, well, was Pentecost just a one-off experience? Was it just, okay, we've got 3,000 people and now we'll, we'll just work with what we've got here, we've got our hands pretty full. That's enough church growth for the year. Was it just an ecstatic experience that they had that was just going to end on that day? Well, what we see here is that the power of God was going to be present with them from that point for the rest of their lives. And we'll remember that this is the dunamis that is the dynamite power of God. Jesus had given his disciples this power previously. You can remember the book of Luke. It says Jesus gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal sickness. That is dunamis power, the dynamite power of God from heaven. And authority, that is, they can exercise it as they will, as they choose, and as governmental agents for God. But now what's happened is this power has come with them to stay. And it's not only with them, but it's now Jesus, it's now the Holy Spirit himself in them to do these works. So Jesus is no longer physically on the earth, but he is on the earth as he lives in Peter and John as he lives in the 120 who were baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So let's go back for a minute to this man, crippled, laying beside the gate beautiful. Who is this man? Well, I want to say that man is every one of us. That man is me. We are the cripple from our birth, incapable and lacking the strength to walk upright. What has this 
man done? Well, he's turned to the world for help. And they carry him, and they lay him at the gate beautiful, so that he can ask for alms, but he cannot enter the temple. Because of his physical condition, he is forbidden entrance into the temple. And so like we also have been forbidden entrance into the kingdom of heaven because of our sinful, wicked lives, because of iniquity. And so we too have lain at the gate begging, but not allowed to enter. This man's story is the story of the miraculous work of Jesus at three o'clock in the afternoon, who is now going to open a way to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can enter the kingdom of heaven. And as Alexandra has asked the question, was Pentecost just an ecstatic experience? Or was power granted to open the door to blind beggars or to crippled beggars or to leprous beggars so that they could be healed and changed and restored so that they could be blessed by Jesus in being turned away from their wickedness? Is there a life-changing situation where we are no longer blocked from the kingdom of heaven, where we are invited in, and where we can participate fully in the privileges of that place. Now, part of the great concern of my heart is that some of you have bought into the lie of the finished work of Jesus when you were baptized and you think at baptism you received everything you were supposed to receive at baptism what are we supposed to receive a new birth being made alive in Jesus and we read in the book of uh, first or second Peter the apostle Peter writes that baptism is not so much a physical washing as he calls it a clean conscience towards God, the turning of your mind back towards God, away from those things that lead to death, away from sin, and receiving that life of Jesus in our soul. So there's nothing special about going down in the water per se. However, there is a sense in which we are baptized into the death of Jesus when we believe in him, as it talks about in the book of Romans, and that's a wonderful experience. That's where our soul's salvation is secured. That's where we personally deal one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, where our sins are forgiven, where we're changed into a new person. But most of us were so concerned, and this is right, 
we're concerned about our own soul when we come to Jesus to be saved. We're not thinking about serving in the kingdom at that point. So there has to be a second moment in time where we first are rejoicing because we know that we have been washed, we have been made into a new person in Christ, all of our old life and ways are gone, we're new in Jesus, we have a clean start, we have a fresh beginning, we're not holding down to the sins of our past, God has had mercy on us. But now we have to go that next step and say, okay, I'm going to serve Jesus for the rest of my life because he loves me. He gave himself for me and I love him. And that's where the power of Pentecost comes in. And so this man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried daily to the gate, beautiful, so that he could ask for alms. And he sees Peter and John about to go into the temple, and he asks them to give him alms. And Peter fastens his eyes on him and said, Look on us. Look on us. And immediately he had this blind or this uh, crippled beggar's attention. He looked upon them expecting to receive something. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Wow. What an awesome event. But what I want you to hear today is that Peter and John represent the church. The church is walking into a place of prayer. And as they walk into the place of prayer, they look with compassion on a lame man who is laying there without any hope, just asking, begging for alms. But the beggar had one thing going for himself. He was asking. He was expecting. He was seeking. Now, he didn't know he was asking for healing. And when he looked at Peter and John, he didn't see anything unusual about them. Evidently, he didn't recognize them. And so he didn't know what to expect. But Peter, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, Give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What Peter can give him is not out of Peter's holiness. It's not out of Peter. It's out of Jesus. And it is out of Pentecost. 
It is out of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes, so note that Peter and John did not kneel down and pray and ask Jesus if he would heal the lame man. Instead, they said, stand up and walk. And they took the man's hand and pulled him up and he was healed. And the man had faith. He looked at them expecting to receive something. Certainly the man, as we know today with beggars, people give beggars all kinds of things. They might get money, they might get clothes, they might get a bicycle. So he was expecting to receive something. And that is the faith that Jesus required of him. We see over in Acts 3.16, Peter says, And his, that is Jesus' name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So we see that there are two things that are necessary for the kind of healing that we are to do by the power of Jesus. The first thing that's necessary is the baptism of the Holy Spirit for us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The second thing is faith on the part of the person being healed, being saved, being delivered from demons, whatever it is that the power of God has come to do. And we think about this beggar was there every day. Peter and John had probably seen him many times before, but they didn't attempt to heal him until the day of Pentecost, until after the day of Pentecost. Jesus had told them to go and wait in the upper room until they received power. How long wait were they to wait? However long it took, but they were going to wait there until they got the power. Now, after they receive the power, now they can go out and do this kind of healing. Today, most of us don't have the kind of boldness that Peter and John had, and that's because we know we don't have the power. So we might pray and ask Jesus if he would heal the person, and maybe the person would be healed, and maybe they wouldn't. And unfortunately, more often they're not healed. But that's not what Jesus has called us to do. But he's called us to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit so that just as Peter and John could see this lame man, could see his faith, that they could then say with authority in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. See, something ugly happens in the teaching of the finished work of Christ. And that ugly thing which happens is that preachers say, you must know what your position is in Jesus. And that when you were saved, when you turned from your sin, you repented, you were saved, you were given everything necessary. Yes, and so I hear people say things like, I received all the sanctification I will ever receive when I was born again. Or, I've received the power to heal, but I just have to realize it and, and walk in it. And practice it. And so they'll go up to someone and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And nothing happens. Why? 
they've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember this story. What was his name? Where he tried to pay Peter. Simon Magus. Simon Magus. He tried to pay Peter for the laying on of hands so that he could have that same power. To give other people the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter rebuked him and said, Simon Magus, you are full of iniquity. You're full of bitterness. But Simon Magus was a baptized member of the Christian church. So evidently, when he was converted and baptized, he had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he was not sanctified when he was born again. Now, was he really born again? Well, they thought so. They baptized him. There must have been some evidence that he'd repented. But in fact, he was not sanctified. He was still filled with bitterness. And many of you have been baptized. You go to church. You say you're saved. But you're still walking in your sin and iniquity. And you're heart is filled with bitterness and anger. There has to be another work. The Holy Spirit comes with flame of fire and with a mighty wind. He comes to purify and he comes to give power. So again, two things are necessary for us to be able to do what Peter and John did in this story. The first is we must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the second is that the person who is being healed or being saved must have faith. Now I say this because if you leave out one or the other, you're going to end up in a ditch. So the ditch on the one side looks like saying, just have faith in Jesus and he will heal you, but you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is why so many faith healers or even just average Christians fail to heal those they pray for, and it's quite tragic. I've, I witnessed one woman who was, who was dying who believed Jesus would heal her. Some Christians came and prayed for her. They spoke authoritatively. They commanded the sickness out in the name of Jesus. But the woman died within a few days after this event. Now, why is that happening? If she does have faith, why isn't she being healed? Well, it's because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is absent. There is no one who has received the baptism. Now, God in his mercy does sometimes heal us, even though we haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's more of a prayer of faith kind of healing. But this is why there's been so much, I don't know what you want to call it, bad press against healing and in the Christian church. And you see very tragic things like today as there's been an increase in Ebola again in certain countries in Africa, people escape the hospital to go to the prayer meeting. 
because they believe if they can get to the prayer meeting, they'll be healed. And they're prayed for and they end up dying that night or the following day. Now, this is utterly tragic. This should not be happening. There is no biblical basis at all for that to be happening. And the only reason we can say that is because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is absent. Now, the other side is we don't want to get mistaken and think, well, okay, once I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, then everyone will be healed, regardless of whether or not they exercise any faith. Now, Jesus himself actually rebuked this idea directly in Luke chapter 4. This is Luke 4.27. You'll recall that Jesus went into the synagogue and read a portion of Isaiah and proclaimed himself to be the Christ, the one who would set the captives free, who was proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. And the people were skeptical. So Jesus said, Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. He also gives the example of the widow. He says there were many widows in Israel during the time of Elijah, but Elijah wasn't sent to any of them. He was only sent to the widow of Zarephath. Now, why is that? It's because these people, Naaman the leper, the widow of Zarephath, they had faith to receive what God wanted to give them. So Jesus says this, the people are outraged. They don't respond in faith. They respond in rage. And then they try to throw him off a cliff. And we see other examples throughout scripture where it says Jesus was not able to heal people because of their unbelief. We see positive examples the woman with the issue of blood jesus said to her go in faith go in peace your faith has healed you he said to the centurion whose servant was healed he said i have not seen such great faith in israel so jesus himself was baptized in the holy spirit and yet he did not heal every single sick person who happened to come across his way only those who had faith were healed so we need to have both we need to personally be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then there needs to be a belief that the person, like on the part of the person, that they will be healed or they will be saved. One last thing on this point if you read the accounts of Maria Woodworth Eder's healing events, there were altar workers who were spirit filled Christians who would be at the front. So there would be the big tent set up, or they would sometimes be in a building. The crowds would come in, usually a couple thousand people, and sit down. And the altar workers would be looking at the crowd and going through to see, in their own words, to see who had faith to be healed. And those were the people who they prayed for. I want to come back and speak about the personal application of this story. I am in the past, not now, I am in the past, this man. I lay at the gate, unable to enter into the kingdom of heaven until I totally surrendered to Jesus and received the new birth 
and was brought into the kingdom of God. But there is a principle that I want to lift up before you. In Acts, the third chapter, he is commanded to rise up and walk. But he could not rise up and walk. I cannot rise up and walk on my own power. That's why I was a cripple. And now that I've been born again, but without the power of the Holy Spirit in that baptism of the Holy Spirit, I cannot go out and heal the sick. I have a very difficult time even winning the lost to come and follow Jesus. One here and there, digging one out of the mud and then another, and then finding that person has fallen back in the mud again. I can't do the work of ministry in my strength and in my power. But it says... And he, Peter, took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. We must be lifted up by Jesus. And we must be given strength by Jesus. And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. It is about being given the strength to stand up in the Holy Spirit and minister to the lost and bring them into the kingdom of heaven. Yes, so what we see here is we see this synergy between man and between God. So it is the power of God that heals this man. But the man still had to take Peter's hand and actually stand up. He still had to expect that what Peter said to him would come to pass. And this is true in the whole phase of the Christian life. If, if any of us have ever been born again, or if we will ever be born again, it is certainly by the power of God. Yes. But it is equally that we have to actually believe that God will give us the new birth. And we know when he has done that because he's given us an assurance. He's given us a testimony of his spirit and we know that we have a changed life. We have a changed heart. And so likewise, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, you cannot baptize yourself. You cannot make God give you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You cannot buy the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will recall Peter's rebuke to Simon Magus when he said he wanted to buy it, was he said, your money perish with thee because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. So this is a gift that God freely gives us. And so it's a wrong way of thinking if we think that we somehow have to make God do it. And it's wrong thinking if we think we have to do the work in our heart 
to prepare the way for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to be careful what I say to you, but please hear me. The Holy Spirit must prepare your heart for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is a gracious work of God. Salvation came into my life not by works, but by faith. It did not come by law. It came by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Likewise, the gift of being wholly sanctified and made holy and the old man removed is a work of God's grace. It is by faith and not by works. To be entirely sanctified means the principle of love rules in my heart. Bitterness, vindictiveness, they're all removed. Fear and unbelief. Fear, unbelief, anger. These things are removed from the heart of the Christian, not by his working hard on them, but by his submitting them in the hands of Jesus. Now, part of what I've struggled with for many years was fear. Fear was the driving source of my life. By God's grace, by faith in Jesus Christ, fear no longer can rule my life. Not because I overcame my fear, but because the blood of Jesus overcame my fear. Now, can a man filled with fear be baptized in the Holy Spirit? No. Because to fear is to expect punishment. To fear is to walk in unbelief. But we can't just say, okay, fear be gone. And fear leaves. It has to be submitted to Jesus. It must be repented of. Fear is sin. There are character traits from childhood. There are family characteristics that are wicked. They're not overt acts. They're inward struggle. And those things can totally be removed only by the sovereign grace of God. As we submit them to him, we refuse to walk in condemnation. We refuse to walk in judgment. We instead give ourselves wholly over to Jesus. We do not have a divided heart. We have a singular heart. And as we go to Jesus and give these things to him, we are in a position for the power of God to come and heal us of that issue. This man stands up, leaps up, walks, dances, leaping and praising God. This is the normal life of a person who is born again in Jesus. This is the normal life of a man or woman who is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Great joy, unbounded joy. 
the people, they observe this, and they wonder, is this the man who was at the beautiful gate? They're filled with wonder and amazement at what has happened to him. The lame man who was healed is holding on to Peter and John. And the people all run together. What happened? Oh, it is so exciting to me that the human heart does not go through some slow, toilsome, year-after-year process. But when the power of God comes, we are instantly changed. We are healed. We are restored. Now, some of you have been struggling for years. You've been struggling and you're worn out. You're beat up. Will you go to Jesus? Will you confess everything in your heart? Will you lay it out? And will you trust Jesus for that healing? If you feel like you have been blocked out of the presence of God, all you need to do to change that is to confess before God Confess to Jesus those loves of your heart that have blocked your way and ask Jesus to remove them. And by the power of the Spirit, he will remove them and he will heal you, he will restore you, and you will, with leaping, praising, a joyous heart, enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, when I look, when I look at the church, I don't see anything unusual. But I tell you, when the church is suddenly filled with the Spirit of the living God, and when the church members begin to be set free by the power of the blood of Jesus, bitterness and the anger will be removed. The coldness of heart will be removed. The laziness will be removed. The love of the world will be cast out. Do you know what that's called? Revival. That is revival. That is the grace of God. Now again, what we see in this story is the first recorded instance of the church continuing to do the works that Jesus did. Jesus said that if we believed in him, we would do the works that he did and even greater works. Yes. Because he was going to heaven. He was going to the Father. Yes. Now, this work is to continue until the return of Christ. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like leaven or yeast, which a woman worked into a lump of dough until the entire thing was leavened. So Jesus came as the first seed, as the first piece of leaven to get started the kingdom of God on the earth. He laid his life down for us. He rose from the dead for us so that he could send us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit then living in us 
continues that action. But now, instead of it only being one person in the person of Jesus Christ, now the Holy Spirit can be in millions of people at the same time. And so the work of God can just explosively go through the earth. Now, again, when we're converted, that is a personal dealing with Jesus about the salvation of my own soul, of our own individual soul. Yes. It is not power for service. When we come to Jesus, we're so focused on our need for a savior, on our need for unity with God, on our need for freedom, on our need for forgiveness, whatever it was that drove us to Jesus in the first place, that's what we're focused on. And then we obtain it and we praise God. So conversion was only ever meant to be that new birth where we become a new person, where our past sins are forgiven. We become holy and righteous in reality. We leave all known sin. Yes. Now we're to go on from that to receive the power for service. And that is going to require accepting that the job of my life is to bring the kingdom of God on the earth. That means going to Jesus and saying, yes, I'm so excited. I'm so happy and filled with joy that you would invite me to this incredible privilege of preaching the gospel, of healing the sick, of winning the lost to you, Jesus. I need your wisdom. I need your power. And I believe that you will send that. And we wait for Jesus to send that promised power from on high, that baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire for purity so that we can do the work of God. The but baptism of the Holy Spirit is about bringing the kingdom of God to the earth and to others. Conversion is about my own soul. They're two very distinct things. But Alexandra, what we are experiencing is that people listen to this broadcast and they listen to us talk to them even personally, but they are so caught in their own inner pain. They are so caught in their own struggle to survive financially. They're so caught in all of their daily activities that basically they say, I don't have time or ability to wait on God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we're finding it very difficult to even find people who are interested in praying with us for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I pray that that's not the case with you, but that is a poor excuse. If you think about it, we've all had things in our life that come up. Suddenly a family member becomes drastically ill. We have to drop everything. We have to take time off of work. We have to fly to another state. All of our plans for the next two months are gone, and we're now taking care of mom or dad. It's not like we're incapable of doing this, but what I want you to see is the great privilege that God is offering you. If you really believed that God was going to send the power of the Holy Spirit, how excited would you be to go to the prayer meeting? How, how could anyone even keep you away? 
you would be saying, God is going to send power from heaven so I can heal people, so that people can be saved. I'm going to be there. Now that's the kind of heart attitude you need to have. But instead, it's a dragging. It's a deadness. Because bottom line, the church in America doesn't believe that prayer does anything. That God doesn't answer and that you're not going to be baptized in power in the spirit. If that's what you believe, I ask that you would drop that belief. And search the scriptures. I mean, read carefully the whole book of Acts. I've sat just in the last several days and read again the entire book of Acts. Just reading it and rereading it. It is the story of the Holy Spirit. It is the Acts of the Apostles, but it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the Apostles, but also in the church. Philip, Stephen countless others yes and as we shared yesterday the holy spirit is this powerful creative person of god and the image throughout scripture it's one of procreation it's it's a husband and wife coming together and producing a child kind of image and so that's what we see when we talk about the synergy between god and man we talk about the indwelling holy spirit and then the response of the disciples to do the work of Jesus and the result is spiritual children the Apostle John the Apostle Paul they all speak of their converts as their children so what we have here it's like a holy mating or procreation happening between God and between men and women to birth to bring forth to travail in labor in childbirth and then to raise those children and that's how the kingdom of God is brought on the earth. Now I wanted to say one more thing as we speak about service for God and we speak about power for service what's so critical in this is that we must have integrity and love as we go about serving God. For example if a man is raised in a family of atheists and goes to college and in college he's converted he comes home and now he begins to speak to his family about Jesus he sees his family doing a lot of yard work trying to clear out the deck clean out the garage he doesn't offer to help them he just sits around and reads his Bible well his family isn't going to think there's a lot of integrity in his witness now that's just a, a basic example, but it's so key because if we're going to declare that the kingdom of God is here, there can't be an area of hypocrisy in our life that could take away from that witness. And likewise, if we're going to say to sinners, the kingdom of God is here, and that's the highest possible motive you could have for repentance is that the kingdom of God has come and you have the privilege to enter it. If we're going to declare that, then we have to have the power to actually bring the kingdom here or we're just speaking into the air. So in a very real sense, my own personal righteousness, my love for others is essential to my testimony of Jesus. 
That's what the Bible means when it says that faith without works is dead. However, we equally do need the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the kingdom. And so we recognize there is a desperate need on the part of the church to lay aside its busy agenda and for you to lay aside your busy agenda and wait on God for the power to do the work of the gospel to bring lost sinners into the kingdom of heaven. I trust you will take time to fast and pray and cry out before God and let him have full reign over your heart and your life to prepare you to be an effective soul winner for the kingdom of God. Well, we're out of time for today. I'd like to invite you to write to us. And by the way, when you write to us, have the courage to put your name and address on that letter. Letters that don't have a name or address, we dump. But we'd like to hear from you. So write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Please visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter. And join us again tomorrow from 1 to 2 p.m. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. And I'm Alexandra Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Diabetes, Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.